Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey of celebration about Keyforge, its community, and that good old excitement of Discovery. I am one of your co-hosts, Zach Armstrong, somehow still here after all this time, and I am joined by the man who, when the tide is low, you can be sure, is somewhere nearby lurking, doing his nefarious plans. It's Ed Pocock. How are you, Ed? Actually, Zach, I think you've miscategorized me there because I'm more of a high tide kind of guy. You know, uh, beers by beers by the ocean, surf's good, sun's there. Yeah, low tide, not 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 so much. Mm, my that's thing. why you're one of the Key Rakin's best agents, Ed. That's why you're well, one of the Key Rakin's best. Yeah. What can I say? What can I say? It <laughs> does does come in handy to have you know a bit of muscle when you need it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, Call of Discovery, uh, all about that muscle. We do, we do like our muscle. Key rack and muscle. <laughs> right, right. Well, like the, the kinds you can pluck off piers and then you know boil that kind of muscle. Oh, good goodness! I didn't, I didn't realize we get there. But I suppose we are, <laughs> we are talking, we are talking about a few tentacles today. So, um, we, if anyone we are. wants to have calamari as they uh, listen to the podcast, then, uh, then you're in good company. It's true. It's true. And Edda, who do we have the honor of talking to today? Zach, we have the pleasure of interviewing Ro. You might know him better as Children of the Tentacle on YouTube. So who better to join us today for a focus episode on the very own House Unfathomable. Good to have you, Ro. Thanks very much. And um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, we are excited to dive into the depths of Keyforge's new house with Dark Tidings. And we've got Ro along today because uh, unlike us, uh, you know, Americans, not even Canadians, just us uh, USA over here, uh, we don't have Dark Tidings. But Ro has had his hands on Dark Tidings for a while and has just been doing so much content, so much diving into the set that we thought it would be great to have him along uh, to talk about the new house. What's going on with the lore, the mechanics? Uh, what is it looking like as a brand new house here in Keyforge's uh, fifth set? So very excited to dive into that today. But first, of course, we always try to get to know our guests uh, a little bit better, get to know uh, what makes them tick before we dive into uh, dive into our topic. So, Ro, uh, I do know that you've played a couple other FFG games before, but how how did you end up uh, at Keyforge? I really I really started um, playing uh, Netrunner first. Uh, I had a few I had a few decks. Uh, in the original uh, release of the game in the in the nineties, and then uh, I was extremely pleased when I saw the game being re-released uh, by FFG later on as Android Netrunner, 
uh, had a tremendous fun with that. It was also my first, uh, the first moment I dipped my toes into kind of a competitive mode at the time, you know, store championships, events, regionals, things like that. Uh, a fantastic community. I also was traveling quite a bit at the time. I had the pleasure to to uh, to go to a, uh, and play the game in in different places in Europe, in the UK, in the Nordics, in um, in the Netherlands, in Germany. And I felt really sad when the when the get gone the game got um, got cancelled, uh, and couldn't find really anything that that replaced uh what had become really a lifestyle game for me um when uh until uh until i think it was a gen con that a couple of years ago that uh that keyforge got announced uh one of my friends was there got a few decks came back uh we tried there was also a number of them that was that were uploaded to the internet we were able to try print them out try them so pretty much from day one we <clears throat> Being able to to try the game and enjoy it really, really was fascinated by it, and um, then really try to go again, do some vault tools, participate into uh, into the game in the first two sets, and um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Then I, I felt attached. Well, I started making some videos uh about my thoughts about some of the games and try to find a little bit what i could bring that was that was different and as the um as the pandemic hit i realized i had something quite unique in the sense that well in my close surrounding i had a number of players where with whom i could play in a completely safe manner and at the same time i was getting a little bit overwhelmed by the amount mm, of yeah. um uh, online play and how much competitive the game was also becoming. And going back to a kitchen table um, keyforge and be able to to share that face to face experience was was really what I felt I could bring. And uh, there's plenty of other places to to see the top competitive games. So uh, I decided to stay on and ordered a couple of uh, English boxes. Uh, of dark tidings and i happened to receive them yeah i mean i was very surprised because the game wasn't even released in my part of the world when i received them and i felt like sharing that as well and and share it you did over over your youtube channel um and roman what was the motivation for for kicking off that youtube channel and and for sort of using it as a as a way to share your experiences with keyforge with the wider world uh, it's funny you ask. I think um, if you're working and you you feel sometimes your job is being very much execution, I, I felt I needed a space to be a little bit more creative and bring something uh, personal. I've always wanted to do something like that and I couldn't really find the space. I'm not sure I'm right at the level of quality where I want to bring really complete fresh content, complete fresh graphics, but I wanted basically to to have the experience to find my niche, build a brand, build something. And that was, I mean, I was going to say about the discovery of the game, helping people discover, but at the same time, also keep a little bit of a competitive edge, like I'm you know, playing to win, having fun with it. And um, 
and that's some that's how I came out to be. And then the the idea of the brand was it was funny. I was playing with um, I was playing with Metroner. I was playing uh, a a runner called Apex, who looks pretty much like a big bowl of spaghetti. And then I was playing um, Arkham Horror, the card game, which is also a lot about uh, all sort of wiggly tentacles. And all of a sudden, I was playing another game, and my favorite house was Mars, and it was also <laughs> a bunch of well, also tentacly monsters. So I thought, well, yeah, the, the, the kind of uh, common point was a tentacle, and I thought, yeah, I need to just to build a big um, a big octopus, <laughs> and this will be the brand. And which happened to be uh, one of the fun aspects is I ended up with it, without absolutely uh, aiming at that. Uh, being exactly like an emoji because they're exactly like the purple tentacle uh, octopus emoji. And mm. it's very easy for me then to sign any message I'm sending. So it it all came back into a circle. And now knowing Dark Tidings, apparently yeah. there's another, there's also an octopus, but I haven't, I haven't got it yet. It is, it is very yeah. cool. It's a very cool logo. <laughs> and um, I, know I should say at this point that, that we, we first met, um, didn't we, Ro, at, a, at an Arkham Horror event here in London, hosted by Frank and Peter of, of Drawn to the Flame, very much friends of the podcast. And uh, we, we did an inexplicable thing at that event. We, we uh, eschewed Arkham for an hour and we played a game of Keyforge um so uh so i don't know whether whether the unfathomable were um i suppose uh there was some kind of premonition of, of what was what was going to come from the depths at, at that point in time but it, it certainly happened yeah i have to say it's in it's uh, impressive because you look at because uh, you look at sanctimonious basing their brand off of uh, an original house you know and then now we have uh children of the tentacle you know your brand uh that was branded with tentacles before we even knew about house unfathomable so that's just uh i find that lovely and i just i think it fits so well and into the themes you were talking about with the other games that you've been very much absolutely in. no 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 it was it was fun that actually yes we met first through um through arkham horror and then I think we met in one of the vault tour, or was it? It was it Birmingham, or was it uh, Krakow? You were in Krakow, I believe. Definitely in Krakow. Yeah, Krakow I was wondering yeah. also whether we came across each other in Birmingham. Wonderful vault touring. Oh yes, I, I was at both Krakow and Birmingham. Um, both both wonderful vault tours. Krakow just with a, a proper proper experience though, and uh, yeah, all the pros. I think you think of Keyforge. Yeah, just fun event with a great community um and uh yeah no one taking themselves too seriously it was really good fun absolutely i think it was the one of the high points of uh for me for playing this game we'll we'll get back out there again we will get back out there i'm sure in the near future i'm ever the optimist here on call of discovery fingers crossed yes i i hope so so with uh with that uh divinely inspired um, you know, Children of the Tentacle and then House Unfathomable uh, gets announced. What was your uh, what was your reaction when you saw the new house and saw that it was, in essence, the Tentacle <laughs> house uh, and it was going to be closely aligned with you? Like, what, what was that feeling when you first saw that house and went, oh, my gosh, that's me? I think it was last summer, right? Yes. Yes, that's correct. For us in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> it was... Um... It was funny because I probably saw the announcement. Uh, I was I was out 
running and you can imagine uh how do you say that the moor basically next to a big cliff at the at the seaside and very very um uneven ground and trying to look at my phone while running <laughs> <laughs> it was it went for something fairly dangerous i think some of the first images that they showed uh i think it was taniwa and some other creatures it was uh it was quite some of the some of the creatures they had designed was kind of a radical shift from a lot of the uh, other other houses really trying to build a, a new identity. I'm um, um, I'm a bit less of a fan of some of the the graphic design for for Star Alliance uh, and um, uh, and Saurian. So I was I was quite keen uh, on 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 this new direction and and bringing once again having the freedom to bring once again a a completely different art style. When designing a new house, I was I was really really excited about it. Uh, excited also about the fact that um, this was rotating out because um, I think hmm. I think it was kind of locking people into some some design choices and maybe we needed some alternatives and 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 I was that was an interesting uh, an interesting choice uh, for them to do that. Uh, and then I had many questions about how how the actual house was going to work, and how it would actually um, bring something uh, something new. And how well do you feel House Unfathomable has settled into uh, into into its its new neighbourhood in the Crucible? Is it playing well with its neighbours, or are they uh, are they going to start causing havoc? I think I think some of the key effects that they have are really around uh, how they can manipulate the opponent's board, um, exhausting creatures, um, harming exhausted creatures, bringing the creatures back to hand, bringing creatures back on top of the deck, and a lot of disruption throughout your uh, throughout the board, um, which is really interesting. Uh, and and can make for some very very powerful uh, powerful plays. It it bears some similarities with um, with two two other houses. I think the the first iteration of um, of of sort of Saurian, where it introduced the, the notion of the exalting and how uh, some creatures would exalt some some effects would exalt and some effects would manage or get value out of exalting and it also bears some some um i would say some interaction some some effects similar to uh maybe other other houses like like sanctum or or brobna in the sense that they um a lot of the effect react on the board state which may or may not exist at the time you have the cards in hand so that mm. means that uh, these actions could or could not be wasted. If you compare to, say, something like um, a steel action, you know, play steel one or something like that, I mean, 90% of the time, except maybe on the very first rounds, your opponent has ember, so you can steal it, or unless there's something blocking you from stealing. But that's, 
that's a reaction. That's not the problem. You can most ninety percent of the time you will get value out of a card like that. A card that you know exhausts a creature or um, brings a creature on top of your deck requires that you have uh, these creatures in play, which makes it a little bit different. And then the second point that make maybe today, now that I'm experiencing it, I feel sometimes can be a little bit more difficult with uh, with that specific house is that. Because you have effect that exhaust, but you also have effect that bring creatures back to hand or bring creatures back to on top of the deck, they kind of overlap each other. It's not there's not much synergy exhausting a creature and then bringing it back to hand or bringing it back on top of your mm. deck. So you have to think. Sometimes it will work. Sometimes it will just overlap, and you will play. You'll discard a bunch of cards that you can't do anything with. Sure. And do you think that those uh, that overlapping and then that control of creatures on the board is, in your mind, is that going to set House Unfathomable back as far as kind of an Archon solo power level is concerned? Or do you think those are really effective tools that are going to kind of put them among the stronger houses in this set? Oh, I think I see it a little bit the way uh, Brobnar was in its early uh, releases, in the sense that Brobnar was mm. strong when you had a bunch of creatures that work with worked well together. There was a couple of cases and you would have a deck and you would have a bunch of Brobnar and there was a couple of actions you couldn't do much with and there was a couple of creatures that but not enough to make something out of it. And or, or Mars, it's the same thing. These houses were really dependent on a couple of factors, a couple of actions that work well with each other, a high number of creatures that could interact well with each other. It's a little bit the same way. I think maybe the strength of uh, unfathomable is more balanced between actions and, and creatures but I mm, think sure. you need the, the the composition of the house is really really important and um, but that that's one aspect I think the second aspect is more uh, about how I feel about the set is you and we spoke a little bit before the show about agency I think this is also a set that asks the player to take a lot more decisions, which is interesting. To me, mm. I link it a little bit to to a, 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 um, yeah, Age of Ascension in the sense that, yeah. uh, I mean, regardless of the power level of that set versus others, is a, a combination of cards is much more important than just having a bunch of good cards like you had in Kota or other, other sets. Uh, and second is that the the way the the set seems to have been designed is to really you have to think about the pace and there's a lot of cards where it can be pretty useless if you play it now but if you hold it for a couple of turns you can get a good value but it's not like oh you're not going to steal to steal five ten embers you're going to maybe wipe only one side of the board or you're going to uh, trigger an effect that that will make you draw ten cards or something like that and these are effects that are high harder to value, but that modify a lot the pace. And the fact as well also that every turn you have to decide whether or not you want to raise the tide also will impact somehow the pace of your game because you let the, the tide high to your opponent that will speed up his game. You raise the tide that will slow your game and the pace of the game has to be really, really understood. I mean, in a vacuum, I think this is what makes Unfathomable interesting and the um, the overall set interesting. Now, um, but it could end up being a case that, like AOA, like instead of having 10% great decks 
you will have maybe 1% or 0.1% great decks. And that's, to me, that's the, the main um, concern I would have if the power level is there, but harder to manifest in, in, the, in the content of a deck. We, we have to take a moment here to, uh, to kind of give credit to FFG for pulling together this awesome house with this fantastic art style where, I mean, it is uh, both, both you and I, Ro, have, have, have been fans of Arkham Horror and everything that FFG are doing around Arkham Horror. And um, yeah, when, when Danny Schaefer said on this podcast last summer that they're going to have a Lovecraft meets Mermaids house, I think they've hit that tone bang on um it's probably a bit more lovecraft on the evil twin side it's probably a little bit more mermaids on the standard keyforge side um but um certainly they're, they're drawing on this deep history are they not of cthulhu-esque tentacles and and innsmouth which is a um a a, a fictional place in in the arkham horror world where um creatures will crawl out of the sea and cause cause some havoc Absolutely, I, it's really interesting because you're correct. There's there's a lot of uh, like Innsmouth slash uh, Lovecraft uh, uh, themes in the in the graphic arts. There are all things that that also remind of uh, I don't know if you've seen that that card game called Abyss, uh, which also is about undersea um, creatures, and and uh, and it's really um, really fascinating as well. Beautifully done. And, and and then we have uh, like yeah essentially they've created a whole setting and with a, with a lot of monsters and beasts and and their aquan creatures it, it, it's really nice they they've done a great job here uh, and so Ro you've been able to play this uh, a bunch like you've talked about you've got some great insights into into how the mechanics of the house are playing out. As far as individual cards, uh, what cards have been standouts for you, either cards that you think will be very powerful uh, or just cards that you have really enjoyed uh, playing in decks? I've had both. There's, uh, uh, but I think the card that I think is the, the most interesting in terms of design and the strongest is the chosen one. It's a ninth strength, obviously unfathomable creature. It's rare. Aquan. Uh, instead of re readying creatures they control during their ready card step, your opponent deals one damage to the chosen one for each exhausted creature they control. So essentially, your opponent doesn't ready their creature, and for each unready creature, they deal one damage. So you have to picture it, but it's, it could mean that for, especially if you've brought everything back to the hand, brought everything back to um, on top of the deck, or exhausted, simply exhausted things, which is something that Unfathomable does very well, you don't ready anything. And that's, that can take a few turns before you get rid of that situation. And that, that's... Yeah, especially at, at nine power. Yeah, it's a nine, yeah, especially. I mean, it's... I think it's really interesting design. And you... It, it, it feels a little bit like uh, you know uh, playing a restringentus against yourself or something like that. I've mostly played against it than actually playing it, and you feel very constrained because a lot of things that your deck would normally do, that your houses would normally be able to to manage, you can't do it anymore, and that's 
that until you play against it, you don't realize that. And I'm sure there will be like absolutely broken decks that take a lot of value out of this. And that to me, that's a really, really strong one. Particularly with all the plus one counters going on in Untamed, I can imagine that's oh, a, gosh. A, a rather tasty uh, place place for that. And uh, and of course, uh, wards being being a thing. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be absolutely brutal, especially because it's passive. You can call other houses while while your opponent struggles yeah. with that. And remember, it's also you also have. Um, I think it's uh, is it an uncommon sleep with the fishes is uh, destroy all exhausted creatures. It's it's a brutal one. Oh wow! So another payoff for for all of the exhaustion going on in yeah, it's uh, an action one ember destroy each exhausted creature. So it's two sided. I mean, supposedly, but if you don't ready or if you exhaust, you yeah, it it's not nice. And yeah, I, I think you can easily have a, a house with two or three of these. So it's um, one one not to play at the end of your turn. <laughs> No, absolutely. And and there's a lot of ways, once again, very situational, but the right combination of cards can be absolutely devastating. And Zach, which cards are, are, are making you quake with excitement at the possibility of playing Dark Tidings in person of House Unfathomable? That sure, is. sure. Um, uh, for fun, the aforementioned, uh, the aforementioned Omnipus, uh, I think will just be fun. I'll, at the very least, I'll have a couple of games of enjoyment of playing this gigantic octopus with technicals. Uh, but Sweaty Zach is very excited for Brain Drain. It's an action with a pip of amber that says, look at your opponent's hand, choose a card and put it on top of their deck which just is providing, you know, hand information. You're getting to try to slow them down a little bit, remove perhaps, uh, maybe you've bursted Amber this turn, you know, maybe not in Unfathomable, maybe you have, uh, and, you know, remove their uh, their burst, you know, their Amber Burst Punishment card. It just provides a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of smart choices uh, and at common. So you're going to be seeing it a bunch. So I think Brain Drain, Brain Drain is going to be uh, one I look for in at least uh, kind of, more competitive unfathomable decks alongside a lot of the things that rose uh been talking about sounds like a pretty neat pretty neat card with uh plenty of utility in different in different decks yes yes uh as well as of course uh, at call of discovery we would be we would be uh remiss not to mention the trio of cards uh that are dive deep drawn down and dark discovery uh so it fe- really feels like our podcast's evil twin uh, you know, was involved in these cards. Um, and uh, Ed, are you familiar with these? I am not familiar with these, no. Oh, gosh. So they're a trio of connected cards. They are. That's so cool. They are. Ro, have you had a chance to play with these three cards before we talk about what they do? I have two decks with uh, I have two decks with those. Uh, I think we we selected one for the, the tournament we've, we've put on uh, on YouTube. Um, so just to describe it to you, so three cards, you have to have all three of them. I th- think I've seen at least one deck with uh, two copies of each, which I think will make oh. it a lot more easy. But essentially, it goes it goes like that. So draw, Drawn Down is the rare one. Uh, play, look at the top three cards of your opponent's deck, discard one, put one on the bottom of their deck, and put one on top of their deck. So far, so good. Dive deep is play, discard the top card of your opponent's deck, put that a creature that shares a house with that card on the bottom of its owner's deck. 
that's the more tricky one, I think, because then obviously it needs to have a creature like that. And then Dark Discovery is an, the other special one. Um, play, gain one ember, play, name two cards, discard the bottom two cards of your opponent's deck if they are of the named, if they are the name cards, purge Dark Discovery and forge a key at no cost. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Forge so, a key at no cost. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was I was being like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, and oh, never God. managed to figure it. So, um, but that that makes for some fun games because usually I'm going to lose, and I name two random cards, and I lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If you can't archive these, I don't see how you can make it work, unless maybe yeah. you keep just drawn down and dark discovery until the person has like three cards on their deck, and you kind of get well. You, you, you you know everything at that point that's remaining, but it's it's really difficult, especially with so little archive in the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they all have amber pits? No, just the last one. Oh my! Is there a little archive in the set? I, I I my my limited experience of it so far has been multiple theory or conjectures, which uh, <laughs> which do do the archiving rather nicely particularly when combined with an eddie well, sure that's just off the top of the deck though for theory or conjecture which is uh archive the top two cards of your deck or play the top card uh the things that you can actually play to target a card in your hand to archive are a bit more rare like eddie ah, uh yes, like like a few a few other cards um there is Hydra Cataloger, but that also is just randomly off the top of your deck. So not as much uh, intentional archive this time around, think, which, uh, you know, may do little to temper the pure power that is that is Logos, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I'm just checking briefly huh. on uh, 24 cards and 19 of them are in Logos that archive in that set. So if oh, you don't wow. have it with logos, essentially <laughs> you have a problem. And most of the other ones either are cards that archives themselves. So the two on unfathomable archive themselves. You've got a way team that archives essentially the 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 mm. uh, upgrades on itself. Say for sorry, archive creatures, epic quest, archive creatures, and all the rest is logos. So yeah, you need um, you need logos with it. I think that there's no way around it. I'm on the lookout for this at least. Uh someone somewhere will find a deck that can pull this off on a regular basis. And it will be, it will be terrifying. Um, and then of course they'll just, you know, round one in a single elimination tournament, they'll go against a Dasanya deck and then it'll be, it'll be all over. So, <laughs> or a Tantadlin deck. <laughs> I still believe you can guess. And if you guess correctly, you're good to go. Sure. That's true. That's true. That's going to make for some amazing, uh, some amazing, kind of uh, heart of the cards, Hail Mary moments, to use an American football term. Yu-Gi-Oh's from American football? Well, uh, <laughs> no, the, the Hail Mary, the, uh, the, the a play in American football where you, you reference the prayer. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding with you. Zach. Although with, with how I'm much Yu-Gi-Oh draws from, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a, a card called Hail Mary, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. perfectly honest. I think, uh, and we were we were talking a little bit about the the um, the Kiraken before. There's one card that I found absolutely fascinating, also in the rare, and I, you really have to to respect the design. It's really good. It's uh, oh, I can't pronounce that <clears throat> effigy of Melirook. 
Yeah, it's a it's an artifact that reads after an enemy creature reaps, put an awakening counter on effigy of Melaruk. If there are six or more awakening counters on effigy of Melaruk, move it to a flank of your battle line as a creature with 100 power and 100 armor. Its text box is considered blank. Oh my. Yep. So it's almost like a Oh crikey. It's, That's um... It's uh the by far the largest creature in the game. And it can only be awakened by your opponent. You have uh, little to no control, really, over over when it deploys. Wow. Yeah. So we have a Cthulhu that is your opponent is the cultist playing uh, <laughs> playing games and summoning this monster um, that they don't realize is going to ultimately be their undoing. I love the I love that mechanically. That's so fun. Yeah, and even even at a uh, three-player, it can one-hit the Kiraken. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Oh, you're right. Uh, the Kiraken, of course, referring to the uh, this-week-released Keyforge Adventures, the co-op, the uh, friendly, the multiplayer, but co-op uh, card game variant of Keyforge, where we get to pit our mightiest and miniest Archon decks against the... Uh, the epic foe of the Kiraken. Yeah, that's right. This would uh, p- p- putting this out would certainly be easy mode for <laughs> for taking out the Kiraken. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So the the Kiraken, as terrifying as terrifying as the Kiraken is, uh, it appears that House Unfathomable has a a grand creature to awaken that is uh, even more terrifying than the Kiraken itself that multiple archons come together to uh try to bury wow <laughs> i suppose to the great to the great old ones of the unfathomable the kiraken is merely calamari itself yeah. <laughs> it's also a great synergy with waste knot mm-hmm. well you can't draw a hundred cards but you can try yeah yeah waste knot being that uh <laughs> the untamed action card with the pip L- that says destroy a friendly creature, draw cards equal to half that creature's power, which oh, is fifty uh, cards. Sorry, yeah, 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 fifty cards. Ro, you've just set you've just set Logos players a challenge. They're all sat there now <laughs> thinking, "Yo, you think I can't draw a hundred cards in a game? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, I, heart of the forest plus yeah. Logos. Any anybody intrigued by or already chasing after you know waste not decks uh, will definitely want to tune in next week when Rove is back for our deck discovery episode uh, for some possible waste not shenanigans and that's that's all that's all uh, I will I will say for now but in the meantime Ro thank you very much for coming on the cast it's been absolutely delightful having you on and uh, where can our listeners find you they can find uh, children of the tentacle channel on on YouTube and I also have a, a Twitter account that's ten, at uh, Tentacle Count because Children of the Tentacle was a little bit too long for <laughs> for uh, for Twitter. But thank you very much for having me and uh, really, really enjoy uh, everything that you're doing uh, for uh, for the game. I, I think uh, one of the memorable moments of... Um, of the past few months was your interview of, of Richard Garfield. I really, really uh, uh, enjoyed not only his presence, but also the conversation you were able to to generate. Uh, it was it was a good moment. Thank you very much for all of that. 
Oh, of, of course. We're we're flattered. And uh, uh, honestly, all we did for that was just find his email and get in touch and prayed a little bit. And then and then he came. He was just very gracious and just so excited to talk to fellow nerds about nerd things that happened to be perhaps games he designed like Keyforge. So that was that was an honor. Um, and yeah, thank you for I mean, you know, we're we just we just podcast. We're very thankful for all of the people out on you know, even bigger platforms like YouTube, like you, you know, getting Keyforge content out there for people on recording games. So you, we have, we have records of, of those. It's uh yeah. Yeah. Uh, all content creators are really pulling on the same big Keyforge rope here. So we're grateful for all of them. Absolutely. And uh, listeners do definitely go and check out Rose YouTube channel, children of the tentacle. It is linked below um, there are some wonderful Dark Tidings videos on there that really kind of capture the, I think, flavor and dynamics and, and feel of the set. Um, I, I've been cautious about uh, what I consume in terms of Dark Tidings content, but I have allowed myself that that pleasure. So uh, thank you very, very much for, for putting those together, Ro. Um, dear listener, if you are enjoying Call of Discovery, you can find us on your regular podcast app of choice. If you're new to the game, you can check out the new player's guide at Arcon Arcana. That is also linked below. And if you're looking to support us in a monetary fashion, you can visit our Patreon um, where you can sign up to support us on a monthly basis and enjoy rewards like our exclusive Discord where we get many of the topics and questions for this very show. Let us know what you'd like to see more of or less of in future shows by interacting with us across social media, or you can always do it the old-fashioned way and send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, do you think a friend would enjoy this podcast? Well, why haven't you told them? Have you answered the call of discovery? <laughs>